here's a question I want to ask you. Yes. What has making the podcast meant for you? It's a it's really a chance I think to reflect and just sort of take stock of where we're at and what we're doing. What does reflection do for you? Like what role does it play in your life? I find it calming. You find it calming? Yes. I do. I find it like taking deep breaths. Well, it is. It's a, it, I like that. It's like a pause, right? right? It's like a pause, like taking stock, yeah. seeing things from a different perspective than when you're in it. Yes. Which is also, I think, what taking a walk on the beach does. I've had many people ask me about why I write this podcast, and I want to answer that question because it's important. Basically, I write it because I need it. I need to do what artists do. I need to step back and see things from a distance, to take it all in, to zoom out and see the full picture. And when I do that, I can see and understand my life as a whole. And that helps because, boy, this last year was tough. And for a while there, all I saw was pain. Writing season two helped us get through it all. Each episode helped me find a different perspective. You know, our farm is named Aliento, which means breath. Whether it's a walk on the beach or writing a story to get to the deep healing truth, this last season has brought me new meaning to that word, aliento. Now, the idea of breath means finding the pause, to find the words, to write the stories, and then exhaling by telling them all to you. Aliento is much more than finding clean air in the Pacific Northwest. It's the breath that helps me settle in. Because when I write, I can breathe. I think of it like this. Life is a series of experiences, some small and some large. Many are difficult and challenging. Others are immensely beautiful and awe-inspiring. The thing is, unless we find a way to reflect on those experiences or tell stories about them or write them down, they can fly away into the recesses of our brains and just sit there as fleeting images or feelings. But when we dive into them, through writing and storytelling, we're able to see the bigger picture. Much like what happens when we walk on the beach, we see the vastness of our lives. We take a breath, we pause, and things come into focus. Puzzle pieces come together. Sometimes writing helps you feel calmer and like you can carry on. Always, things seem much better because you've paused to take a breath. Welcome to A Fiber Life. I'm Lisa Mitchell, and I'm here to tell you stories about our farm life and what we learn when we live close to nature and use our hands to make things from what we raise. Our hope is that this podcast will do for you 
what our adventure has done for us. Inspire you to live with every fiber of your being. This is the last episode of season two. In this episode, I dive into the question, why do I write this podcast? What does reflection of this kind mean to me and others? And when the magic seems dimmed, how can we get it back? I talked to Laura Davis, author, writing teacher, and retreat leader about the act of writing and its healing potential, especially when it's shared with others. Greg and I reflect on the podcast season and our farm life, and you won't want to miss this. We do this at the beach where something very, very special happens. I'll take stock of where things are right now on the farm and show you how writing really does lead to magic. So if you're feeling like you can't see the forest through the trees, like you need to have some time to breathe, this episode is for you. Thanks for listening. When I first closed my private practice as a therapist and decided to move to Whidbey and raise fiber animals, I signed myself up for a writing retreat, specifically a retreat that was focused on grief, transition, loss, and uncertainty. It might sound like five days of dragging yourself through mud, but it wasn't like that at all, mainly because it was a retreat led by one of my now dear friends, Laura Davis. She is the author of seven books, the first of which was The Courage to Heal, which came out when I was in grad school. It helped crack open the subject of sexual abuse for millions of women. And her latest book is a memoir called The Burning Light of Two Stars. It's about a very challenging mother-daughter relationship. And she's an amazing retreat leader. And I've learned so much about using writing as a tool for healing and transformation from her. That grief retreat in California helped me process my life transition so well, I decided to talk with Laura about writing and why it is so helpful. Writing is such an incredibly powerful way, and the space of that retreat, the sacred space, it, it really lets you peel back your contemporary life and go really deep inside about what am I hungry for? You know, what is wanting to be born uh, what's the, what is my soul asking for? And then to just be really supported and to, to hold that empty space. That's the hardest of like, you're kind of have one foot in one world, but it doesn't, it feels old and stale and, but you really want to move into another world. That's where you were at when you came to that retreat. I was totally there. I, I was, I mean, I was so, I was still seeing clients, but I was really done. I was, I was really, really done. And I didn't know how not to be a therapist anymore. Um, or who would you be if you weren't a therapist? It, 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 that was like, and I didn't even know to ask that question. You know, I just, yeah. But I knew that I needed to go write about my transition. I needed the space to process. But what is it that is so healing about writing? Like, for instance, about grief or transition. What, what is it? Writing is a fantastic way to get in touch with our deeper selves and to, to get that understory where real change comes from. So I think that's, that's incredibly powerful, just writing by itself. But what I like to create is a situation where you're writing in a community of people 
who have all committed to the same kind of exploration. And it's not just that you write it, but that you then get witnessed and that people mm-hmm. receive and hear what you have to say. Writing is like the inhalation and reading out loud is like the exhalation. So actually reading what you've written and having it witnessed is part of the process. And it's, we often don't know what it is we've written until we say it out loud. At the retreat, I wrote about leaving clients and closing my office. But there was a deeper truth that I needed to express. Once I started to tell the truth about my life in Sacramento, the fact that I was shriveling up with so much concrete and so little open land, I couldn't undo what I saw. And I felt so well listened to with compassion and love. When people really tell the truth, it's like we're all hungry for that level of communication and our daily lives don't generally allow for it. And that's why, you know, a writing retreat like the one you went to is is transformative. You know, that's yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it could be going through something like what you're going through, which was I'm done with this part of my life. It feels stale. It feels old. Something in me is awake, wakening up and wanting something new. But I'm terrified, you know, of the void. I don't I don't know if I could be different. It could be someone grieving a death. It could be someone who has empty nest. You know, their kids are just leaving home. It could be someone dealing with a diagnosis or displacement or grief over our country and what's happened. I mean, any level of grief, I think, really matters and also can be, when it's met with compassion and uh, deep listening, it becomes transformed. So I think that's why it's so powerful. I totally agree. And I think in a group process, the courage, if someone else is being brave to tell the truth and to read it, it helps me feel safer and feel inspired to be even more authentic or even more tell even more truth that I might not do if someone else didn't take the risk. Since the retreat, I've dug into my writing as a way to get to the truth and to really see what the stories I write are trying to teach me. And I love that I can share these on the podcast. I love the voice you use on the podcast. It is you, but it's also, it's a certain slant on you, mm. you know, and it definitely is you, but, but you're, you're writing to an audience and you're, there's a certain amount of teaching in the podcast, yeah. right? You're, you're educating people, you're, you are entertaining them, but really you're sharing a philosophy of life that you think other people could value from. So it's, it's in a way, you're not being a therapist when you do the podcast, but there's a certain quality of using words to educate, inform, inspire that you're still doing in a different form. I know. Right? Isn't that true? <laughs> I haven't totally given it all up. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Why do you think so many people want to write a memoir? Like it seems like that's the people, oh, I have a book about my life that I want to write. What do you think that urge to write your story is about? I think we all have a desire to, to have a deeper integration and understanding of our lives. And writing a memoir will help you achieve that. It's also really exciting and terrible, also at times, frustrating <laughs> and difficult to record the stories of our lives and to, yeah. to learn how to be more honest. 
When I sit down to write a podcast story, I feel like I'm a cameraman on a movie set who has just switched to the drone. And the drone is now flying way above the whole set, showing us all kinds of things that we couldn't see before. And that act of being able to see not just the inside of the movie set, but the surroundings and the crews and the buildings and the bigger context of where that movie is being filmed helps me know things I wouldn't have known before. Yes, I have to be honest and brave, but I also have to see from a different perspective. I have to get away from it all in order to make sense of it. Actually, it's like taking a walk on the beach. What? I was just saying this is a nice, this was a nice idea to come here today. It's, I really worked up a sweat at the farm and it's so cool here and breezy. It really is. We do get to go to the beach whenever we have a spare few minutes and the weather is nice, which is incredible. Wow. You can look across the Salish Sea to the Olympic Peninsula, which is really incredible. Still has snow on it. And listen to eco bark all the time. We should go around so we don't sink. Will what we do sink you sink here, do you think? Which know. way do you want to go? Up and around? Yeah, let's try that. Okay. What do you think the tide is? What minus? Did you look I think it, it was like minus 1.3 feet. I think it's more beautiful when it's minus than it is when it's like... Oh, immensely more beautiful. You've got this huge expanse of beach with clamshells and crabs shells. It's just wonderful. I think the problem with the farm is that it's there's so much to do and then it's also so just endless peaceful to yeah. be there that I don't really ever like there's only some times that I crave getting away really I, I don't know I just it Sometimes I, it feels like it's too effortful to leave. I see. Huh. Even if it just means changing your, getting out of your farm footwear and into something else, huh? Well, how often do you think of leaving? I thought of it today. Yeah? No, when I... was the last time you thought of it? Oh, I actually think about getting away with some frequency. It just, it always seems like it is peaceful, but it always seems like there's things to do. And it's nice to get away and just feel like there's nothing that I need to get done. That's my feeling. Seattle is beautiful. Look at that. It's so clear. It is way clear. You can see all the way to Seattle. It's incredible. Mount Rainier is covered by a cloud, but you can see Seattle. Yeah. So it's just busyness that keeps you on the farm? No, I like it there. But when, especially this time of year, I do feel really busy there. Like yeah. there's stuff, stuff and more stuff. Yeah. Like you're never going to get it done. I'm never going to get it done. So it feels. And if you leave, it's just going to. It can stay the time. there. Yeah. It's a physical separation that brings a mental separation. And with that kind of mental separation, 
I think there's the opportunity to process things and do what Laura talks about, use writing for healing. But listen up, because there can also be amazing surprises when you take yourself out of your day-to-day routine. I've had a lot of feedback that season two was a lot about death and grieving and life transitions. It was. And that's the interesting thing, because I didn't realize that until I got that feedback. Really? Yeah. I mean, you write about what you need to write about, right? You talk about what you need to talk about. I guess that's true. Um, And that's what you needed to talk about. You'll never get across uh, here without getting wet. Do we turn around? Oop, there's a whale. What, 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 wait, wait, look. What was that? I'm telling you. Well, where? Hold on. I saw the spout. Yes, I did. It's a, it's one of those, what are those called? Those little, the, the little ones. Oh, it's not a gray whale. No, it's that little. Minky. Yes, exactly. I saw it, a spray and then, oh, there it right is. There. Oh my God, it's, there it is. Oh my God. It's a gray whale. That's a, that's a gray whale. It's oh! eating. That's, and that's its fluke. It's turning upside oh down. Oh my God, what a blessing. And I really, I mean, it oh. is. What, 30 feet from the, from the shore? <laughs> Let's walk over there, can we? Oh my gosh! Oh! I've ne- I've seen orcas from here from long, far away, but not so close it's, to the shore. It's eating shrimp off the oh bottom. Oh my gosh! Just don't get hung up in all the lines for the buoys, man. Wow. Well, that was exciting. That was it? so good. I just have to say this. So the prompt that you gave at Commonweal that I still have stuck in my head and it even sometimes I have it, it gives me incredible strength and courage is this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. This is how you do it, yeah. And yeah, that's, I, that was my favorite prompt for a long time. <laughs> I love it so much. This is how you do it. And then there's like, it's like the instruction manual and there's so much power and it's empowering. It's like, I can own this. This is how you do it. Right. And it could be written about anything. It could be anything at all. This is, this is how you raise children. This is how you wean a baby. This is how you sit at someone's deathbed. Mm -hmm. This is how you give notice at your job. This is how you live with a disability. Mm -hmm. You know, this is how you raise guanacos. This is how you do it. And you get into the detail. I think it's, it's the specific detail that you want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's not general. That's that's the instruction is that you you use that line as a repeating line at the beginning of each paragraph. You use it at the beginning and the end and then the the actual like paragraphs are very detailed. Yes. They're not like general or abstract. Yes. It's like this is how you do it and you give the details. My I have another current favorite that I've been using a lot this year myself. Ooh, what is it? It's this is the way things are right now. Mm, oh god. Okay. That's good. This is the way things are right now because accepting the way things are right now, um, it ends a certain level of suffering. I mean, there may be the suffering or the pain of what's going on right now, but wishing it was different and trying to get away from it um, and denying it adds a whole other level of suffering. So this is the way things are right now. As an end to season two, 
here's my reply to Laura's prompt. This is the way things are right now. Summer is here and the owls call to one another in the night. It starts with one who finds the perfect silent moment, well after the sky is finally dark and before any of the songbirds see a hint of daylight. That first owl belts a solitary line, long and sonorous. I startle from my deep sleep because in those hours I've already done my tossing and turning and I'm far away in dreams. But it only takes a small startle and then I recognize that there's nothing wrong. It's just that the concert has started. Another owl responds, subtly different, but coming from a different location. It's like surround sound when each of our ears gets tickled, alternating left and right through the earbuds. The owls sing out to one another, back and forth, overlapping, softer, louder. Sometimes more come in and the beat gets thrown off a bit, though I don't mind. I just turn over and adjust the covers and breathe the cool air that is sweet with summer night. This is the way things are right now. The fence needs augmenting so that our new baby boy puppy won't slip through the slats, which means that Greg has gone to the back pasture and removed the chicken wire that was once installed to protect the tree trunks there. It's a lot of wire. And we need it because the fence forms a yard in the back of our house. As I staple the rolls of chicken wire, unwieldy with sharp edges, I have flashes of baby-proofing our house in Sacramento setting up nurseries in various houses, painting fairies and flowers on bedroom walls and installing car seats. We're getting set up for the puppy and it feels anticipatory, happy, exciting. I am amazed at how easily my love for another blooms. I have a picture of him on my phone wallpaper and every time I see that little tongue, I swoon and think about his tail and how it will make me smile when it greets me. This is the way things are right now. There are other babies waiting. Two Pygora dolings are with their mama now, but will come home to us in August. We keep telling Daisy about them and hope she will feel happy to have some friends in her pasture. And Angie's baby will be here by then. Angie let us bond with Alma two years ago, and this time could be as special. There are baby plant starts in the gardens. Far too many, but we love to share. They are mostly still under their cloches, tucked and protected. The weeds are using their roots to strangle as best they can, and we both have sore butt muscles because the ground is a long way down these days. The potatoes have grown into their adolescence and have started to remind me of the jungle it will all become in about a month. Soon, the busyness of shearing and new babies and weeding and planting will slow. There will be a point when that time has not quite come and I will feel tired and ready to just quit it all to spin on the deck and watch the guanacos sunbathe. But for now, there is a lot to do. And I remind myself I will crave this kind of energy, the anticipation, the planning and productivity when winter comes and sends it all underground. And so I'm soaking it in, living into it, allowing the magic to work inside me. Day and night, I stay alert to the way things are with pure appreciation. Oh, doesn't that air feel wonderful? It is very fresh. 
think it's the best air on planet Earth here. I completely agree. Where on Earth can you take a walk and on the with beach. a gray whale? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. <laughs> So with this season's end, I can tell you with absolute conviction that writing the podcast has been the most helpful thing for me. I've been able to get really honest about the losses and share them. I've been truthful about my fiber stash and the worries I have for its future. I've honored our tools and their stories, and I've challenged myself to ask for help. Truly, without the podcast, I may not have been able to work through these things, and your listening has been the exhale. I really, really appreciate that. In the end, I'm happy to say we're back where we started in season one. I do still have though, like every time I come down the drive, I still have those, you know, goosebumps of like, wow, this is so beautiful. I'm driving along the drive and then turning into our driveway. It's yeah, it's. It almost every time brings back memories to me of the first time we did it. I know, huh? Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more stories about our farm life and what we learn when we live close to nature and use our hands to make things from what we raise, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast listening app, or if you want to be notified every time we post a new episode, you can sign up for those notifications on our website, afiberlife.com. This production is brought to you by the Bright Sided Network.